Okay. Welcome to episode 70 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast. My name's Tony, and I'm rejoined this week by uh, a co-host who's been here before. He's from the north of the border, once more another jock. Uh, welcome to the shit show. Yes, it's Johnny Cannon. How you doing, babes? Thanks so much, Tony. I, I like the way you start off uh, your podcast with a uh, hate crime against Scotland. Um, <laughs> you know I'm half Scottish. It's fine. It's I fine. know. I'm a quarter English. Oh, there you go. Always. Lucky you. There you go. Um, how you doing, babes? You right? I'm good. I'm really good. Oh. Really? <laughs> What's <laughs> What's happened? I, when I said it, and I was like, fucking hell, I was really sore. I need to cut my toes. Uh, my toenails cut my fingernails. well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave all this in, Tony. This is the best stuff. Yes, this is gold, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. How's, uh, how's the third lockdown treating you? Are you doing all right? You're working from home, though, aren't you, I suppose? I've uh, been working from home. Uh, probably, had, like a lot of people, had a few wobbly moments, but it seemed to be coming. We all seem to be coming through it. My kids go back to school next week. So, right. um, I, it's, I don't know. I mean, I've been really creative comic-wise as well. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. You've done, you've done your usual set out to create a four-page comic, and what are we up to now about? Page eighty three is it? Or are there now? Uh, no, just I've just done fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get onto that, Geezer. We'll get onto that. But in uh, before we do that, um, I thought you could. Uh, so you come on. You suggested a short run of comics. Did you want to let the listeners know what we're going to be talking about? Yeah. Um, so this is one of my favourite comics, um, and it's, it's uh, four specific issues. Um, issue five to eight of Nexus. Cool. Um, which is just, oh, it's, it's just, I, I love it. It's fantastic. So it's, it's Nexus, let's be specific, Nexus Volume 2. Volume 1 was the black and white magazine sized. Uh, volume 2 is the one that starts at Capital and then runs into um, First Comics. And I think you, I'm right in saying that you've chosen it. That's one of the reasons is because it bounces. You get two issues from Capital and you get two issues from First. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. But when I when I first chose them, that that wasn't purposely why. The right. reason why I chose them was because it was I wanted to. Um, I mean, I absolutely love the series, but w- one of the things that was really interesting to me was something similar with uh, I've spoken with you about Alan Davis and Captain Britain. Is this is when Steve Rudd isn't quite fully formed? Okay. Um, when you can actually really see this incredible accelerated growth in his in his technique, um, and just it's it's. You've really, you've really seen it on the page, just just improving. He's still working things out, so there's some storytelling kinks in this still, which I find really interesting and quite heartening. Because sometimes the stuff looks too good, and you're like, oh, God, I can't draw comics. It'll never be this good. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, I think it's probably we should point out at this point that if, if you want to play along at home, for every time that uh, Johnny says, Toth, take a drink, and every time I make the claim that um, Mike Barron should still be working in mainstream comics. Also, take a drink. So by the end of the episode, I'm guessing you might be pretty pissed. Um, there you go. I was just trying to figure out at what point his Toth influences kicked in, and I was saying which specific issue. <laughs> 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 with Alex Toth, it's your fucking fault. You introduced me to it. But yeah, I know. You keep telling me that weekly. He said it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, let's get let's start off with our usual questions. So. When did you first become aware of this character, and when did you first buy the issues? Nexus. I, I've got a pretty recent history with Nexus. I, I, Steve Rudd, I think, had first come across in it was probably X Men: Children of the Atom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Which was in the two thousands. I'm right in saying. Is that right? Yeah. Wasn't about two thousand. I. Yeah. In Spider Man, 
and I loved both. And I was really disappointed because I think Paul Smith replaced Steve Root and Children Atom at issue four, maybe. And Paul Smith's obviously brilliant, but just he's, he's not Steve Root, no disrespect. It's just it's a very different style. Okay. Um, and then I was in Glasgow and they were having a sale on Nexus um, Hardback, the Dark Horse Archives, and I just bought one because it was reduced. And I was like, holy shit, this is absolutely incredible. And I think, I mean, right, rightly so, Nexus always gets praised for the for Steve Wood's art, and they've won a slew of awards. But yeah. Mike Barron's writing on absolutely incredible. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And if you look at the time period as well in particular, it's, this is pre-Watchmen, um, this is pre-Dark Knight Returns. This is... Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to get onto that because there's elements in here of... Um, Especially when you look at The Dark Knight and the way that it plays with politics and television and mass media and stuff like that. They were doing that years before in Nexus, weren't they? You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. American Flag too, though, as well. American yeah. Flag yeah. probably... It's around about the same time as this when this would have been at Capitol. I think it was at... American Flag was at issue 20 um, when first started publishing um, Nexus with issue 7 of, of the yeah. second volume. And that would have been 83. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the character and the personality of um, Nexus. So um, Nexus, like you say, started as a black and white um, comic at Capital. Now Capital was the, apparently the second largest distributor in North America of comics, and they decided at one point that they were going to get into publishing, and they produced three comics. They produced Nexus, Badger, who we'll get into in a minute, and Whisper, which also all three of them became. Uh, first comics but whisper took a while to catch on at first i think she was the last appearance whispers a sort of female ninja comic mm-hmm. um in actual fact marvel was very interested in buying nexus at one point so it could easily have become a marvel title i uh, didn't know that yeah however capital just wanted to sell them all in one go and marvel didn't want whisper or badger interestingly enough so i don't know how that had worked out but it's uh did you um did you want to give a little summary of who what what he is and what he does sort of thing, mate? Aye. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's it's strange because when you describe it, you think it almost sounds like a kind of um like a TV procedural drama, like a kind of monster of the week or, or mystery of the week style format, but it's not like that at all. Right. It plays it's so nuanced and multi layered. Yeah. Um, initially, it's about. Um, a kind of cosmic assassin, um, Horatio Hellpot. <laughs> that's, um, another thing, that's another thing. I, I, I mentioned this when I spoke to him, Baron, but he does great fucking names, doesn't he? He chooses the best names. Well, it, it's got that allit- alliterative quality that obviously yeah. uh, your yeah, most famous heroes have, with exceptions to the Batman with Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, and, aye, so it's, 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 it's nominally about that, but to me it's really a love story between him and Sundra Peel. Okay. Uh, who's a spy who's sent to kind of um, spy on him because he's this, he assassinates. I'm trying to remember because I didn't actually read the original ones. I just read these issues in preparation. But he assassinates a Sov general because the Soviet Empire kind of became the dominant force on Earth and then they expanded outwards through the galaxy. And so that Soviet influence was in there. So I think that's because Mike Barron was so into. I don't know if he'd read a lot of Russian literature or was just drawn to some of the iconography of it. Yeah. Uh, but Horatio Hillpop's father was a Sov general. That's right. Yeah. Hillpop himself was based in isolation and he had two imaginary friends. Um, <laughs> yeah. He has these terrible dreams where he dreams of mass murderers and then he has to go and kill the mass murderers so that the dreams stop. 
Yeah, his uh, imaginary friends. I think I'm think I think I'm right in remembering they were called Alpha and Beta, weren't they? So yeah, right? yeah. I think so yeah. And there, were, there were many mercs. And they kind of trained him, didn't they? They almost like trained him in the way. Um, it's it's it's. I mean, we, there's a lot of ways to view this because it has a Shakespearean quality to it. But you know, because he's the he's almost a hero who doesn't want to become a hero. You know, there's that Hamlet quality to him. But he's he's basically a, a reluctant executioner, isn't he? It's this way the way he lives it, and he and he's directed to his executions by the dreams he has that are sent to him by this mad alien called the Merc. Mm-hmm. It's uh. And he has, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's, it's an extended morality play. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, there's so, so much discussion of philosophy. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and wrong, what it means to be a hero. And he has this kind of fall from grace. He's fat Elvis. <laughs> yeah, he does, <laughs> doesn't he? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, you know. it's, he's, he's a reluctant, he's so reluctant, isn't he, for it? You almost, and he's always losing his powers, which we see in these issues, don't we? Depending yes. on what happens to him and what sort of frame of mind he's in, he occasionally has his powers taken away or loses them. And at one point, his powers are given to someone else, aren't they? There's another person who takes over much later in the run, and I think yeah. I think Rude's off it by then, um, and they're given to yeah, someone he's else. He's off it for a while, and then then he comes back. Yeah. So it's been human artists, um, Paul Smith, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Mike Mignola, um, Adam Hughes. I think it's start on it. Uh, I, think, I think this job is, is one. I think the most frequent fill um, I think, was probably Paul Smith. I remember saying to you ages and ages ago that I knew that I knew that Nexus was special when I was disappointed that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez <laughs> yeah. had drawn him. <laughs> yeah. Because I was just, just doesn't feel like Nexus without Wood and Baron together. Yeah. Because they've just got that, kept that chemistry that you only get on, say, Clermont, Burn, Austin, on Uncanny X Men. Or Stern and Burn on Captain America, or yeah. uh, Boone and and, and um, There's definitely a magic uh, that works between them, isn't there? That we we don't quite see them hit the heights elsewhere. Although I have to say they're both amazing elsewhere as well. Um, I I really like that, and I'm not a Punisher fan, but I mean the the few issues I've read of that, I mean it's, it's yeah, his run on so. the Flash as well was just brilliantly. When we talk about his writing style in a minute, because he's got a, he's got a certain philosophy, which I'm sure we'll yes. talk about. Other other characters in Nexus, we had Dave. There's a character called Dave. His names Dave and Larry. I love I love Dave. Dave is uh, his sort of mentor and is the father of Judah the Hammer, who's uh, AKA Judah Maccabee, who's his sort of brash sidekick. <laughs> um, as you say, Sundra Peel is his girlfriend. His lover, um, he, she almost becomes co-ruler because of her position next to him. She's also a spy. My, one of my favourites, um, who appeared throughout First Comics quite a lot, was um, Clone Zone the Hilariator, who appears yes. in this, the world's worst comedian, or the universe's worst, worst comedian. Um, the Merc, they live on Elam, which is, um, I think it's like 800 years in the future from now. Um, and the Earth's government is part of something called the Cohesive Web. Um, there's a there's a nearby planet called um, Headworld, which is Elam's twin. This just got freaky and freaky as this went on and on. Um, and that's that's ruled by people who've had their heads cut off. But they have, if they all join together, they've got this sort of immense psychic power. Um, and there's some some assassins in it called the Gucci. <laughs> Five hundred years in the future. There you go. Yeah. Gucci, which are which are great as well. And there's also Arsula, who's um, um, kind of. She seduces Nexus quite early on. Yes. In, uh, yeah. On that, on the, on that very... spaceship or something, isn't it? I think. 
Yeah. Kids kind of drop him and and because he'd only recently because he was raised in isolation, he loses his, his virginity to Sandra Peel, and then Ursula seduces him, and and she she gets pregnant by him. She's um, twin daughters who who you know. Um, and I don't really think much actually. It's, it's quite strange, maybe not till later on. Um, and she's just the arch manipulator, and she's kind of uh, Sandra's nemesis. And then you got other characters like uh, Jill, who's a kind of cat lady, and Tyrone, yeah. who becomes president of Yulum. Um, so I mean, it's, it's, it's even though it's it's not as as this comic progresses, it's not just about Nexus. It's, it's about Yulum. Yulum yeah, it really becomes that, doesn't it? And it's um, it's also it's world building. world building. So again, mate, sorry, you're breaking a bit. Sorry, it's literally world building. It's yeah, incredible. it is. Yeah, it really is. And the thing is, it's um, it's a lot of things. So, like you say, it's a love story. It's an action drama. It's a a morality tale. It's a, tr- a tale of tragedy. But it's also a politics. There's a lot of politics going on it. And at the end of um, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But at the end of one of these issues, they start to form this strange government. And the politics is via the Marx Brothers. It seems to me. Yes. You know, there's a real yeah. Marx Brothers feel to it sometimes. Yeah. I think that I mean that kind of absurdism um, really runs through it, and I think that's one of the things that makes um, it work. And it's interesting. I was watching the the, the documentary, yep. and Baron says that it's like you know a lot of the seriousness came from him, and the lightheartedness came from uh, Steve Rudd, okay. uh, because Steve brings in a lot of his um, kind of you know Star Trek and um, kind of references, Doctor Seuss, um, yep. Hannibal Barbera. Things, um, you know, Gold Key Comics, because um, Magnus Robot Fighter appears in a couple of um, background um, shots. Yeah, and, stuff like that, and the, um, the kids from Space Ghost appear in the background. There's a lot of that going on, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, there is definitely an anarchic feel to it. And it's, and it's, one of the, it's one of the, not that many comics genuinely make me laugh out loud or make me cry, and Nexus um, is absolutely one that's done both. Yeah, it moves between things, doesn't it? Very, very quickly, it moves between action, grimness, you know, adventure, love, tragedy, death, you know, some quite grim political statements that are made. Yeah, it really does, man. I, 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 so I love it. I'm, I'm, I've got a complete, I've got a complete run. Um, it's one of the first comics I just desperately tried to collect. Did you read much first comics when it was coming out, or? No, so I was when I was a kid. Um, so I was born in 1974. So right. I would have been seven nine. when Nexus. Oh, oh no, you, <laughs> been, you would have been nine when first comic started. Yeah, yeah. Comic picked up like these issues. I would have been nine. And um, there wasn't any comic shops down where I was. I, I grew up in Ayrshire, so there was a John Menzies and it sold Marvel comics. You couldn't really get a lot of DC comics either. Right. Um, so it was mostly Marvel UK reprints I got, and then I discovered Marvel US comics. And a wee bit later on, um, so I basically I, I discovered Nexus and really only got into I only got into American Flag recently because you recommended it to me actually. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd obviously love it and seen it, but I didn't quite realise how fucking good American Flag is. Incredible, it's isn't incredible. it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. So just a couple of sum- a bit of a summary about First Comics because uh, to be fair, First Comics is my third favourite comic company. I have to say. Uh, I'd, I'd rather get rid of all my first comics, all my um, image comics, all my Dark Horse, than first. I did genuinely think that they were one of the greatest comic companies ever. Founded by Kev, Ken um, Ken F. Levin and Mike Gold in 1983, um, they moved to Chicago from Evanston. Um, in 1984, they quite famously sued Marvel, claiming they'd flooded the market to push first comics out. And I know that, I believe that was settled out of court, that one, so we never really got a proper result on it. 
Mike Gold moved to DC, and at the time he took a lot of the talent with him. Um, they have a, a number of claims to fame. They um, created the first ever digital comic called Shatter. Have you tried that one? Ever seen that? No, 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 I've not. Um, but there's a lot of really top tier creators. Oh, mate. I, I picked out some of the some of my favourites. So you've got American Flag, like you say. You've got Badger. You've got Corum, um, which was the Eternal Champion Elric stuff, which Baron wrote some of. Um, you had Dreadstar, uh, Dynamo Joe. you got E-Man moved over from Charlton. Now, Joe Staten acted as the art director, certainly the, the start of first comics. And they asked him to create a new series, and he was going to, but he thought, I'd rather do E-Man. E-Man at the time was really on form. I mean, really good. Uh, Evangeline, Grimjack, obviously. Uh, John Sable, which was a short-lived television series as well from Mike Grell. They were the first company to reprint Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, they did a, a comic called Mars. Um, but weekly they did, obviously, the PIs, which was Joe Staten. Star Slayer that came over from PC. The Probably the best-named comic ever, Time Beavers. That was there. Um, <laughs> Time Squared. Uh, their first comic was something called Warp. Now, do you know anything about Warp? Have you ever heard of it, dude? It's a bit of a bit of a niche one. Uh, I, I'm not too sure because I know there was a there was a Warp Smith thing done by Eclipse because that came out of Miracle Man, and then there was Warp Graphics, which was the publishing company for Elfquest as well. Yeah, I think they that. might be. I think that might just be a coincidence. I think they are separate. Warp Smith's amazing. I've seen Warrior, but uh, um, Warp was a, an off-Broadway play that lasted like two weeks. And Have it, you ever... yeah, and yeah. It, it was one of these like crazy sort of science fiction musicals you know around the time of musicals like hair and all this sort of thing the apple and all these sort of plays and um it lasted no time at all but it, it they made it into a into a quite it wasn't long running i think it was 20 30 issues but it's actually quite readable it's quite lord cumulus is the lord of the clouds and it's like one of those sort of crazy off the off the cuff things um and they also did whisper obviously um they adapted um elric corum lone wolf and cub so they, they got a bit of a name with that but when Mike Gold left. He took. Um, he left and went to DC. He took some of the creators. So he took John. He took Mike Grell, who was obviously had John Sable, and he went on to do Green Arrow, Longbow Hunters. I mean, probably one of the third title that's named next to Watchmen and Dark Knight of the period. You know, um, Chaykin went to DC and did the Blackhawks, and Truman went from Grimjack, Tim Truman, to Hawkworld, which was a big hit at the time. Um, prestige yeah, format that went fine. to a series. That, that does look really good. Um, did he do, uh, oh God, what's it called? Scout? Was that yeah, Scout was, uh, was, where was it? Clips, I think, top of my head. can't remember. Um, yeah, it was around the same time as that. Yeah, I mean, Grimjack started as a backup in um, Star Slayer, which came from PC, which is a Mike Grell, um, but Mike Grell gave it up to do John Sable. I mean, John Sable's a solid book as well. It's really good. Yeah, so their comics were mostly aimed at the uh, sort of pulpy alternative stuff. I mean, they had some superhero stuff, but E-Man, E-Man was a bit of a freak, to be fair. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't their sort of primary material. Um, I'd recommend it, mate. If you, I mean, if you if you started this little collection of Nexus, then there's a few there you can jump on. And you, you've seen American Flag, and there's quite a few. There's quite a good. There's a there's a series called Crossroads, which is prestige format, which was kind of their sort of saying it's a crossover does it a disservice. They sort of each issue had two different characters in it, if you see what I mean. It sort of bumped along a bit, but that's good stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Nexus, Nexus itself has had a few crossovers. Because the Badger obviously appeared as a guest star. Yeah. Even the crossover, Adman and... Uh, Magnus. What was it called? Magnus. Yeah. Fighter, 
Yeah. I mean, Magnus is right up Rude's street, isn't it, really? Let's face it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell the painted covers. I never really thought about it until... Because um, a lot of people say, oh, he paints like, what's his, what's his face, um, Norman Rockwell. And I was like, I don't really see it. But then I realised when I watched that documentary, I was like, no, it's like the old goalkeeper covers. Yeah. Um, well, let's, right, let's, this is what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to give a brief summary of what happens in the comic series, because <laughs> that's what we probably should do. Um, and then we're going to go into talking about Steve Rude, because I know you're desperate. Um, is, <laughs> so, basically, uh, it's next, Horatio Hellpop and Judah Maccabee go on the lash, basically, this, isn't it? Um they decide they need to go out and go and do something and have some fun. And they go to um, a sort of a casino in space. Um, mm-hmm. That sort of goes wrong. And they end up on a, uh, in another dimension by going like skimming along a black hole on a bowl-shaped world. Once, yes. once there, um, they, that's a really great sequence where the spaceship slides down the side of the, the world. I love that sequence. It's really clever it's, done. You know. It's incredible really isn't it the spaceship grinds into like one last panel just before they die yeah that's great yeah um so they make the way across this this um landscape of you know it's sort of naturous landscape full of beasts and people they have to fight and they they bump into first they bump into the badger who's been sent there because he's confronted um the bloke he lives with ham who's a wizard um, before he, he kills uh, an animal as part of one of his rituals, and he ends up there as well. And it turns out that Badger has been living there for a while. Badger sort of trips along with him, and they they come across a big single-eyed... What kind of creature is it? It's, um, like a manta bee, yeah, a stingray. With a big eye in yeah, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really... It is, that, that's, that's probably... Mm, that and the wee kind of um, squid things are probably the take a drink. Probably two most toth like Right, okay. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And he's the sort of this almost godlike character, the sort of psychic character on the planet. And he says, You've got to go through three areas. You've got to go you've got to have a master of weapons, and Judah says I'm a master of weapons. You've got to have a master, a master of unarmed combat and Badger says that's me. And you then and then the third one is philosophy. And at this yes. point, um just before this we've realised that Nexus has lost his powers on this planet and they have to yeah. make their way across it's very, you know, it's not a simple story, but it's a simple premise. Um, make their way across this bowl-shaped world, and then they get sent home again, and that's kind of the whole story. But on the way out, at the end, the creature says, "You must promise to come back to Nexus." And Nexus says, "How do you know I will?" And he says, "Because you don't dream here." And it leads yeah. us. There's that immediate link back to the the tortured soul that is Horatio Hellpop, and the fact that he has to kill people, and it's really it's beginning to at this point we're realizing the weight of the world is beginning to rest on him now he's beginning to realize what he is what he has to do and also that he's the ruler of this of elam the de facto ruler of elam um which he has to go back on now the the theme running through this as well is that elam also is facing some trouble and that there's a little bit of a sort of marx brothers political uprising going on on the planet so when he gets back he arrives back and they say, uh, oh no, there's already a president. We've elected a president who's this doofus who's decided he'll be the president. It's, uh, it's a real yeah. intertwining of about three or four stories because there's a couple of other excavations going on on the planet and they're discovering the true nature of Nexus along the same lines as well. You know, uh-huh. I'm trying to remember if it's before or after um, when, he's, when he's away here. This, I think this is the first time he goes away from Sundra and cracks start to appear in the relationship. Right, um, okay. Affair with, a very brief affair with Jill as well. Um, I remember if it was before this issue or after it. 
Um, and it was simply the first time. I was quite struck that in like the early eighties they were depicting, you know, um, you know, and, and I think I mean, that makes me insane in a pretty sophisticated way a lesbian relationship to one of the, one of the main yeah. characters. Yeah, and certainly train adultery as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I remember as a kid reading it and thinking it's quite. It's quite sexual romantic, isn't it? There's a... It's both, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's always sort of chiffon, you know, chiffon, you know, um, curtains, and you can see the shape of the breast be behind it, and that sort of thing's going on, isn't it? In the, that sort of the way that Rude draws it. Um, yeah. It's also very ex existential. There's a real Jungian crisis going on, isn't there? There's sort of... Um, you also get the sort of Freudian um, ego and superego stuff going on on the planet. Is a... Uh, there's a real literacy to what's going on. From yeah, Barry. I mean, that that had always been there with Baron from the start. Again, you know, it's that sort of the nods to frequent nods to Russian literature because of the the sort of influence. But yeah, yeah when the, the philosophy thing, that's when it really sort of ramps up. But it's never it's never done in a pseudo intellectual way. It's 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 the way it's written as yeah. I mean, it just seems natural when when. Horatio was talking. It's 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 things that he's struggling to come to terms with, and I assume it's because Baron was, you know, trying to come to terms with that in, in his in his, you know, in his own life. Yeah, Baron does um, not doesn't show off in this at all. We'll talk a little bit about Baron's history because Baron came to comics a little bit later than you might expect, actually, and we'll have a talk about that in a minute. But I know you're dying too, so let's go through to the take a drink. The toth-like quality of Steve Rude, born uh, the 31st of December 1956 in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, has over the years many times worked with Mike Barron and they still remain great friends. He went to a number of art schools. Now you've probably watched a number of the interviews I've seen and he just sort of basically got up and left them, didn't he? Because he said, I wasn't learning anything. I had a good first year, decided to move on. So he went to the Milwaukee School of Art and Design, University of Wisconsin and the Madison Area Technical College. And I'm sure he went yeah. other, elsewhere. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I love this story how they met. Um, cause, yeah, because I've read, so I read quite a few interviews and stuff. And there's, there's a pretty good one with Mike Barron on the um, comic book historian's website, right. and he talks about how he, he'd been working as a journalist, but he was working for an insurance company at the time. And a news editor in you one of said, well, "This guy's coming trying to sell his art. He draws just like you." And he went along and met him in the steps of the student union. Right. Um, <laughs> just like you draw nothing like I'm not. I'll never be a comic artist. Look at this stuff; it's incredible. Yeah. And just it, 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 honestly, the way they both talk about it, it genuinely sounds like love at first sight. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a flippy way. Genuinely, does sound like that. It yeah. just. And he still, uh, if you hear him talk it, of him, he calls him the dude, doesn't he? Baron calls him the dude when he speaks to him, when he speaks about him, yeah. rather. Um, influences: Doug Wildly, Johnny Quest, uh, Norman Rockwell, Andrew Loomis. Um, yes. Jack Kirby, Alex Toth, Paul Galacy is what I've written down here. I don't know what, what you think of those, dude. Um, the one I was actually going to talk about the most wasn't Toth here. Okay. Because I, I looked through the first few issues and I, I came across an interview with Steve Wood and he talked about his Toth influence. And he's a wee bit inconsistent about this. And I can understand that because it's difficult to remember when exactly you discover someone. Yeah. The one thing that's been consistent with Wood when, when I've kind of looked at his stuff and read interviews with him is his philosophy has always been in copying um, the masters and basically reverse engineering their construction. Right. And then that you can figure out the technique. So the construction is basically the underdrawing, the shapes that, you know, behind a figure or an animal or a car or a, a fruit or a vegetable or a house or whatever it is. And the one that seems to be most influenced is Andrew Loomis. Okay. Um, Andrew Loomis, I can't remember 
his actual job was, but he produced a series of books, I think in the 40s and 50s, and I've got a few of them. And one of his most famous ones, there's one which is called Successful Drawing, and then, oh God, I can't remember, there's another one, but the one, one I've got sitting next to me just now is Creative Illustration, okay. and you see, it's not Norman Rockwell, Loomis, Loomis, was, an, Loomis was an incredible painter, incredible um, penciler, um, it's just, it's just it's mind-blowing how good he is, and I think he's a very influential guy. The other person I think that we don't really see mentioned that often with him is um, Alex Raymond. Okay. There's a lot of Alex yeah. in his work because if you look at, I was listening to like people talking about his drawing style in the documentary, and I was like, well, it's pretty obvious to me. It's the V shape. There's that classic V shape build right. on Nexus. It's not quite a superhero. It's just normal human proportions. Um, but it's the, it's the idealized V shape that you'll see in, see in classical drawings yeah. of the male physique, and that's what's appealing about it. Um, so certainly, so from Loomis, Alex Raymond, you would absolutely see that with the idealized physique of, like, say, um, Flash Gordon or Rick Kirby. Okay, um, yeah. You can see the love for Kirby. It's not exact, though, is it? You, you, you can see he loves, like, the design of Galactus, for example. And there's something a little bit Kirby about the Nexus design for me. It's... Uh, Crossed, yeah. well, you're right. Crossed with some of those more classic newspaper strip kind of guys, definitely. Yeah. What do you think of the window? Because that's the clue to his other big influence, which I never picked up at first, and then I saw it in an interview. He was a big, big, big fan of um, John Romita, okay. Spider-Man. Certainly, the way that he draws Sundra Peel, you could see, ah. yeah, that could be in a job. And I never really picked up until I read it. I was like, of course, it makes sense. Toth is wet, and it's ironic because Romita changed his style because he was a bit more of a kind of Frank Robbins style in the 50s right. and Chain moved on to the man's comics and really really riffed and tossed and tossed into the man's comic so it all goes back to Toth eventually but it was in 1986 he said that he changed and really drew in a lot more Toth like into his work and it was okay. a bit about that the first half of your career you learn what to put into your pages and then the second half of your career you learn what to leave out yeah. that's what changes and I think that's when he becomes fully formed like before then I think they kind of stuff is maybe in the character designs maybe a nod to um, design sheets from Hanna-Barbera like Space Angel, Space Ghost yeah. uh, Herculoids that kind of stuff. Yeah I was going to say Herculoids but, yeah this, this this series in particular especially when they're on the planet is very Herculoids to me I'll get a sense of that Yeah. yeah. What was the character like? I don't think I've actually ever seen I've it. I've only seen, seen little bits of it yeah I've got the I've got a couple of the comics they, they were in, um, the couple of UK annuals that they are in in the 70s but that's all yeah yeah um, it's worth mentioning that he he got rejected three times by Marvel and DC. He would go in, and he actually he said he, he almost relished being rejected because he said every time he'd learn something. And his probably his most memorable time was when he showed um, some art to Archie Goodwin, and Archie Goodwin's comment was, "It's not terrible." <laughs> he's, 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 well, that was brilliant, you know. It's like a great guy that no one has a bad word to say about. Yeah, yeah. He uses a lot of thumbnailing as well, from what I hear. Um, yes. Uh, he, he spends a lot of time on the thumbnails. Um, I, when asked, I saw him in an interview being asked what his tools were, and he held up a single pencil and a single brush, and he went, "There you go, that's what I use." Yeah. Um, Neil Adams, he said, he describes Neil Adams, who has a reputation for tearing people a new arsehole sort of thing when they show art, but he said he was absolutely really kind to him, and he would often go and see Adams when he was in New York and get uh, get advice from him. Um, he said he, he also says, which is interesting, that he is relentless in learning and criticising his own work, and he, he sees them as important ways to improve, which I think a lot of people can learn by, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
The other thing I picked up in, in an interview I found um, was when he was talking about, and you'll like this, yeah. uh, and Paul Galassi in Master of Kung Fu, and he says that storytelling in comics hasn't been transcended since. Wow, um, okay. Well, and you really see that in some of his fight scenes. That fight, the, the Badger fight scene, man, that's where I was going with that. Yeah, that's a, that could be Shang-Chi versus someone, couldn't it? It really could. Yeah, there's one earlier on. It's at, um, I can't remember what issue it's in. If you, so if you get um, either the Nexus Omnibus from Dark Horse or the Nexus Archives, um, it's in the first volume, and there's a fight between Sundra and Ursula, and that screams Paul Galassi. Even in some of the finishing, you know that slightly elongated quality Galassi had? In the sl- I don't know what it is. It's like the shape of the faces and the shape of the eyes. Yeah. It's, it screams Paul Galassi. Okay. Um, I think he moved away from becoming much more kind of classical by the time you get to the Badger fight. But yeah, the energy's pure Galassi. I totally agree with you. Lovely choreography. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The um, there's a, I mean, You've watched it more recently than me, but there is this documentary on on Prime, isn't it? What's it What's it called? I can't remember. I, do you know, I've literally finished watching it 20, oh, 20 minutes. Because yeah, yeah. I, I was so depressed watching it. Uh, yeah, um, but, and we were just chatting about it before we, we, we press record. But in that, I actually think that they play up the tragic quality of Rude a little too much. And you can watch some other interviews that he does. And he's he does, he does an interview with Simon Fraser. Did you see that one? It's on YouTube. Oh, but, one of the, I've watched a lot of documentaries with him um, and, and listened to a lot of interviews with him in, in podcasts because he is one of my favourite um, cartoonists. Yeah. The thing I found really odd about that, I found it absolutely bizarre that he didn't make any parallels with Toth because Toth was famously bipolar as well. Yeah. He was diagnosed in his life. He was a difficult guy to work with. He's been such a stylistic um, and storytelling influence. And Rude as well, and they've had their famous run-ins. Well, they, as well. the famous they, critique he sent him, didn't he? He he ripped him, yeah, didn't but, he? Yeah, I think you can yeah. find the the letters online, isn't it? Yes, it's brutal. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Yeah. I think Toth was in one of his black moods when he, when he wrote it. <laughs> yeah, we're all gone there. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it really affected Rude because I mean, the guy is, I mean, he's bipolar. He's in, he's incredibly sensitive, but at the same time, there's that it's it's that kind of veering wildly between incredible sensitivity and incredible narcissism but he also Um, if you see him he looks like he looks like superman he's a big fucking lump isn't he you know certainly was younger was like did a lot of weights oh bruce lee was one of his main influences as well that's right yeah 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 cool (laughs) the the bit i was going to go into that documentary is and it's a while since i've seen it but so tell me if i'm wrong but doesn't steve rude turn up and stand in Paul Galassi's garden or something, and Paul Galassi's missus or mum says, "There's a geezer in our garden wants to speak to you." Was that did that happen, or am I imagining that? Not imagine it. So Paul Galassi's telling the story, and he's right. like, "So my mum came in and said, oh, what, what someone you know's outside, a big tall guy, anyone outside? <laughs> Who are you?" And he's like, oh, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm the dude. Uh, are you a big G?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm Paul. I'm Paul Galassi. I'm the big G." And he's like, "Yeah." And Paul Galassi's like. Who's that guy in my lawn? And there was some guy lying in his grass, stretching his legs out. And Steve Wood was like, "I don't know. He just—I was hitchhiking. He gave me a lift here. I think he's just like stretching his legs out." So then this guy just drove off. And left. <laughs> Paul Galassi's mum said, "Oh, do you want to come in for dinner? I've just met some meatloaf." And Paul Galassi's like, "Mum, what are you doing?" <laughs> it's just—he's just an intense guy. Do you know what I mean? It's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Because Paul is a real guy, 
character as well, and even he's like, what the hell? Yeah, I love Paul Galati, man. Well, I love them both, but uh, yeah, they are great. Um, there's some other books uh, he's done. So he did Space Ghost with Mark Evanier. Uh, he did The Moth, which was his creator-owned stuff he did at Rocket Comics, um, which you rate, don't you? Oh. really like The Moth. I, I, I absolutely adore it. Yeah, Gary Martin, who was his inker for a bit in Nexus, wrote that as well. He did the Johnny Quest story with... God, who wrote that? For Kamiko. Yeah. Space Ghost was for Kamiko as well. That was 86. Okay. 86. Yeah. Um, he's done... Um, uh, he did a World's Finest story written by Dave Gibbons. Um <laughs> The, and uh, I've had this from Dave Gibbons' mouth. So I was chatting to Dave about him, and I think I've got a feeling he either stayed locally or he stayed at Dave's house when they were working on it. He came over to the UK. And he said, really? um, yeah. And um, Dave said, oh, well, should we go for a wander? You know, and, uh, and uh, it was the day he was, he was going home. And he's sort of sitting in the park drawing people and, like, running about and drawing trees and drawing young, you know, drawing girls playing tennis and all this sort of thing, you know. And... Um, Dave said, what time is your plane, Steve? And he went, oh, it's at, you know, half two. And he went, well, it's, it's one o'clock, mate. We need we need to get, get going, you know. And he's like, oh, don't worry, we've got time, we've got time. And they sort of barely made it to the plane. But he said that Rude was so excited, <laughs> he didn't want to leave. You know, it's that sort of thing. But I heard from the um, the other side is, I heard Mike Barron saying he went round the dude's house and he held up a stack of papers and said, see this this is one issue and i think dave gibbons had gone a bit alan moore on the script yeah 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 uh, dave gibbons mentions that in the film as well where uh, steve would, would phone him up and ask him to explain like just to read the script to him because he couldn't understand it right. and then when he was to him he just got it but he couldn't get it off the page um so i don't i don't know yeah i mean i was quite surprised i <laughs> left that the film because mike barron's quite like you know um yeah, I went round and, and he's like, "Do you want to see some shit? Look at that shit!" That's and he's right. Throwing it the That's right. Yeah, because yeah. Mike's almost quite protective of him, isn't he? He, sort of, he does. You can tell he loves him. He's his mate. You know, even though he, even he said, "Look, we've had a few fallouts, but you know, I still love him. Yeah. He's still my mate, sort of thing." Yeah, a couple of other things he did: Dollar Bill in the Before Watchmen series, which I actually loved. I thought it was beautiful. Um, Wayne Sorry, mate. Wayne wrote that, didn't he? Oh, of course he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really good, really good. Uh, Hulk versus Superman. Captain America, What Price Glory. He's on the, news, the Nexus newspaper strips, and he's also done... He did a variant cover for Action Comics 1000, which I'm thinking, oh, except for the Nexus thing, is probably the last thing I'd seen him in, I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. What's going on with him now? I've heard mixed things, and there's obviously mixed... Because um, I think him and Mike Barron have maybe... Are doing different versions of Nexus. Yeah, so I've, I think they have done. Yeah, Nexus is. I've got the novel. It, it's arrived. I'm just waiting for the Badger novel to arrive, actually. But the um, Mike's done a Nexus novel. He took a script round to the dude and said, "Look, here is here's the next Nexus thing." And then the dude changed it all. And he said, "Well, fuck it. I'm going to write it as a novel. You get on with your end of things." So I think that's. I don't think it was a falling out. I think they just decided they'd do their own bits, like you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean. It's a complicated relationship. Right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, now let's. Uh, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll touch on the dude a little bit more, but let's talk a little bit about Badger. The Badger is uh, well, God is a Badger. Obviously, we all know that. Um, uh, the Badger is on a mission from God. Um, he is um, a person called Norbert Sykes. He's slightly more than that. He's a Vietnam vet. He lives with a magician, a fifth, a fifth century druid called Ham. His caseworker. I think it must. It's, I think it's like a. Um, probation caseworker is Daisy and he later gets married to a lady called Mavis 
the series went from Capital, uh, which we know about, then it went to First Comics, then it went to Dark Horse, then it went to Image, then it went to IDW, and there's currently a novel that Rude uh, kickstarted, that, um, pardon me, that Baron kickstarted, which I'm just waiting. He, in fact, he messaged us today, didn't we? We're talking, we happened to, I happened to mention him, what a great writer was, and he replied saying the book's on its way, which is quite nice. Um, initially called The Badger, then became Badger. Uh, artist on it, Bill Reinhold, uh, was kind of a semi-regular artist on it. Jackson Geese, Ron Lim worked on it. Um, there's a graphic novel called Hexbreaker. He is a schizophrenic martial artist who believes on, on occasions in vegetarianism and he fights outlandish characters called the Yeti. He fights Elvis. He fights Bruce Lee. Various other things. Um, he's, uh, there's some pretty pretty nutty. Look, let's just say this was of a certain time, but Badger has, not, has seven separate personalities. Do you know about this? John? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, he has Norbert Sykes, uh, the Badger. He has Emily, who is a nine-year-old girl. He has Pierre, who's a French homicidal maniac. He has Leroy, who is a dog. He has Gastineau Grover de Paul, who is an inner-city African-American man. And he has Max Swell, who occasionally is an architect and occasionally is a gay male. So he is uh, his martial arts is occasionally so good that somebody he fights someone at one point and they comment that he, his martial arts managed his chi managed to defy gravity um he's pretty much unbeatable he's that guy um he um has sort of severe ptsd uh, and it manifests itself in basically madness and he goes around calling everyone larry who is a sexually abusing stepfather of his <laughs> which we find out much many years later like 20 30 years later don't we yeah, I was quite surprised by that because I was, I was, you know, because it's played so comedically. Yeah. One, one of the things um, that really struck me when I was reading um, the character, and then when I found out, because multiple personalities don't appear so much in um, that. Those. They don't those in the Nexus comics, do they? No, no, exactly. Yeah, but thinking about, um, I thought about Grant Morrison's run in Doom Patrol with Crazy Jane. Okay. Um, yeah. So Legion. And also Moon Knight, the other depictions of multi, multi yes, personalities. Yeah, that's true. Especially in the Bendis one as well. He was all different characters, wasn't he, in that one as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pure tragic comedy. And, and I think it's much more nuanced for it. It's just, I don't know. I, I first, the first time I read the first uh, those issues, I didn't like Badger's character. I found him annoying. Right. Tonal, it was so. But then when I read it the second time, I was like, Actually, I really like this, and I've read, I've read these comics. I don't know, maybe about ten times now. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and I was just like, oh my god, Badger's one of my favourite characters. Um, and and it, the the only thing I'll say about Badger is, and I was going to ask you about this, and this this is a slight criticism of the art. What is going on with Badger's beard? Yeah, <laughs> it does it get? It's sort of a number of lines at the start, even though he's been there for months, and then they go wandering for a week, and he gets a full beard all of a sudden. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's the art choice the way he depicts it not as stubble is it's so strange the the, the choice is just completely uh, even the finished beard i was like that's not a well it's literally the only thing i can think of that i can draw better than steve rude is stubble and the beard <laughs> so i take some solace in that um but yes yeah, it's, it's i the way the way he draws him the physicality the way that i don't know how much of it was in the script and how much of it was in the visual interpretation of the script. Yeah. It's when you see he's kind of, he's always doing something, you know, like he's stretching in the foreground or the background. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's driving a fucking tank that he's imagined out of thin air. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's brilliant. 
Um, and, and the way that it's it's funny because the way that this it, it's unusual that you'd see this in a in a, in a comic I think or, or any kind of any kind of form of um, storytelling where you double down on that absurdism. And I yeah. think this goes back to what you're saying about the Marx Brothers. There's a real Marx Brothers vibe to these three people where um, probably um, um, Nexus is maybe say. Chico or maybe even Zeppo, the least ridiculous, and then Judah and um, Badger are just out ridiculous. Yeah, they're, um, they're like bicker, don't they? And they and then they're sort of sparring. Um, and that still is. I remember that moment, man, from when I was a kid when I read this comic. Is the moment yeah. where um, Judah says they, they get confronted by this sort of top fighter demon because they've got they yes. they're in the unarmed bit, and Judah says, "Stand back, I'll deal with it." And Judah's significantly bigger than Badger. I mean, Badger's a sort of just a skinny dude, really. And um, he so he goes over and he gets like one punch knocked out. And, yeah. and Badger goes in, and it's the best double page spread of blocks and kicks and and oh, it's beautiful. just I love those two pages, man. And then the bit where he actually defeats him because he bites on his shoulder. I just yeah. love that. It's just because he's a Vietnam vet; he'll do anything to survive. You know, he's he's that scrappy. You know, he's like yeah. he's comedy Wolverine in a way, isn't he? You know, there's a little bit of that going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, the, the costume designs, the way Rude does it's incredible as as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's a great design. That kind of that that scene you're talking about with there's a there's a splash page and it's I'm just looking how many panels you could have broken it down into. It's a class. It's done in a classic three tier. Yeah. And probably a nine a nine panel grid. But there's no panel borders on it, and there's a stylized badger yeah. symbol in the back. And then the page after that, there's a big punch that the teacher gets in on him. And the way that he's done it, it's, it's really unusual where he segments. Um, it's it's almost done like a polyptic, where you show movement through um, space, but it, but it's not. It's just it's just really innovative. Yeah. Um, Panel, uh, sorry, page designs. It's, it's which which Rude, I think is, is probably well, incredibly. Favorite I think it's worth mentioning here, and it's something we haven't mentioned yet. And we'll get on to we'll get on to Baron in a minute and talk about it. But Baron had an unusual style. Um, he drew the scripts, so yes. he drew them as stick figures, a bit more than stick figures. I've seen some examples of it, and he did that for years. And he said he just visualized it better that way. And I think he ended up giving it up because he had back problems. I think he was he was bent over drawing all the time, and it was giving him some back back problems. So he went just to straight scripts. But you, you can see Rude makes his own of it. But a lot of the transitions and a lot of the the moments are drawn by um, Baron in the script sort of thing. Yeah, the, the original design of Nexus as well was by Mike Baron. Was it um, okay? The... I didn't know that. Yeah, it's in the the film, and you see it, and it's. I, that was another thing I was going to come to was the design of Nexus actually was yeah. So when I was looking at it, I was like, I mean, people were focusing the lightning bolt, but the other thing is is that Nexus his costume from the front looks fairly standard apart from the kind of thigh high boots. Right. Yeah. First thought, right? Where did those thigh high boots come from? Because Captain Britain must have been redesigned right at the same time. So right. they relaunch a cap with Alan Davis, who also has thigh high boots. Was September 1981, and the first Capital Comics um, its cover dated May 1981. Okay. So I wonder if Paul Neely had seen the Nexus design, and that's where the thigh high boots came from. Because it's just—I don't think I've ever seen it anywhere else. Maybe maybe Kilraven had them actually. That's true. It's a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. But when you see this from behind, 
his costume forms a thong. It does, yeah. There's a lot of. There is an Wait, awful what? lot of um, male butt shots in this series. Yeah, there really yes, is. Isn't it's, there? it's a full neck. <laughs> it's just. Uh, there really is a lot of Nexus Ashes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I do love the way he designs um, Judah as well. I do like Judah and um, Dave. I like, I like the extended upper lip because at one point, well, there's two sort of sexy moments with Judah in this. He's got a girlfriend at the start. Is she called Gladys or something? I can't remember her name now. Uh, and then, then he imagines a sexy lady in when they're back on the the, the bowl on the world there, don't they? Um, yeah. And I just love the design of them. They're alien, but they're also pretty saucy as well. It's just uh, it's hard to describe how yeah, they look. They're a little bit lion, maybe a little bit horsey. They're, they're strange, aren't they? You know. I think they're very like they're very simian, and I think yeah. that that design is um, way Mike Barron describes it as you know there's a clear influence from Doctor Seuss there, and yeah, yeah you can see it's it's an extended difference between the mouth and the nose. Is something that you see in Doctor Seuss. That is very interesting, man. Yeah, and and a couple of the creatures that they discover, the sort of the hammer-headed creature that um, yeah. knocks you He's straight out of Doctor Seuss, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that designs. I, I think there's a Star Trek quality to that one as Animated well. Animated Star Trek, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah really, and and I think you even see that. I'm just looking at it just now. The backgrounds there with the kind of. Um, um, the kind of rock faces and stuff in the background in that fight seems very like Star Trek. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. But but other backgrounds are like are like Doctor Seuss. The thing I wanted to bring up is is just if it's okay is yeah. the colouring I think's fantastic as well. Les Dor Dorsheed yeah. or Dorshide. Yeah. Um, I've never seen him mentioned in anything else, but his colouring's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I think I, 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 don't we get don't geez. we get some inking from Eric Shanoer as well? I think further on, don't we? He comes on with issue eight. That's because they'd moved from a uh, that they moved to a, a monthly schedule, right, okay. and I think you know the the, the fill-ins. I think came a wee bit later on when um, I, I was I checked to see whether he was working in World's Finest then or Johnny Quest. I think it was mainly because of his mental health issues. He yeah, and I can't extended. imagine he's. I mean, the, the the pages don't look quickly drawn, do they either? Yeah, I know what you mean about the colour man, and it's it's pitch perfect it's somewhere between the coloured version of lost in space an animated series and some very sort of cool funky 60s you know the girl from uncle or something like that there's something very cool about it isn't there yeah the paper i mean i, I really i was so surprised when i got the capital comics through i had a I had um issue three of the comics magazine the black and white one which is the flexi disc oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a few years ago hell, this, is, this is amazing um but I, when I got the comics, I was surprised because it's like one of the high-quality direct market DC comics that maybe Teen Titans or Outsiders are printed in that kind of heavier Baxter paper. Yeah. It's like that. My copies I've got, which I got off eBay, they're immaculate. Yeah. Absolutely. They're beautiful. Nicer than the... The colours are a little bit more bleached out on the Dark House... Dark, Dark House? Dark Horse Archives version. Okay. Um, it's glossier paper, but on the Baxter paper, which is matte, it's absolutely beautiful it really that is stunning yeah it's lovely absolutely. it? they were i think they were called the baxter line weren't they because you're right the two the two that really stick out for me at the time was teen titans and legion went to baxter paper for the new direct market comics and then they went to reprint um on the normal line didn't they that they eventually made its way around to reprinting the baxter stuff um yeah I two outsiders comics for the way one was oh, drawn by you might be Alan. right yeah 
Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh. But that was for the direct market, yep. so that was the comic shop market, wasn't it? I think that's where it, why it went that way. Uh, Aye. Aye. Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice is that... Hold on, I just need to find the issue. So in one of the issues... Um, I think it's a capital one, bear with me two seconds. I think it's issue six. There's fan art in the back of it. Oh, is there? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. And one of the one of the pictures is by Mark Wagner. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, nice. And he would have been the time and it does look he would have been doing major like at the Matt. time yeah 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 it's gonna work a little bit oh nice um, let's uh yeah. let's talk a little bit i knew we'd overrun mr p but let's do a little talk a little bit about mike barron uh born july the first 1949 the dude is 71 he is yes. still kicking it i tell you now he doesn't look it he does not does he and quite a martial artist himself actually i think he does practice martial arts um studied political science at wisconsin university um, started out by writing record and music reviews, and he was—he uh, talks quite a lot of that in a number of the interviews. He was a music editor at the Boston Phoenix, and um, and just basically toured around live music venues doing doing um, reviews for many years. Um, talks a bit about um, having lunch with Queen on their first U.S. tour, so he goes back that far. Um, friends, with, um, lifelong jazz fan, also friends with Mike Grell. Um, he, um, we interviewed him for the Awesome Pod just one of my highlights absolute highlights and remains it and I, i've been a huge fan of his for since since this since these comics um but he um he's a very extremely intelligent guy but he rang me because yeah, I, I had skype on my phone and, and out of the blue i'm sitting there putting my socks on at the side of the bed and my phone goes and it's it's mike Barron ringing me <laughs> and, uh, so i answer the phone oh, hello mike you know like the first time i spoke to him how you doing and he went uh, Tony, do you, did you fancy doing the interview now? Because I'm in the car getting a lift somewhere, and I thought we could do it now. And I said, well, can't really make because I'm on my phone, but we were going to do it. He said, is there any chance, how about we just stick with that one? He went, no, no, that's fine. Just thought I'd give you a bell. I thought, how cool is that? And I, I remember screenshotting my my call log on my phone because it just said Mike Barron, you know. But, uh, what, yeah. what a dude. Uh, he had three rules, which he talks about a bit in a number of the interviews you've probably seen. Um he says, show, don't tell, entertain, and be original. Uh, yeah. And it's, if you have to add another one to that, it would be grab the reader by the throat. It's one of his favourite things. Um, he says, you have to be entertaining. He says, people don't appreciate that anymore. He says, I do put politics, I do put romance, I do put, you know, um, philosophy in my comics, but they have to be entertaining, and they have to advance the story. Um, and he's got a real philosophy around his writing. Have you, you've, you've heard a few interviews with him, haven't you? Yeah, I've read quite, read quite a few with him, and uh, I remember listening to the uh, episode with you. I've also listened where both the messages before started um, a couple of the worst podcasts. Oh, God, we were talking life. about one earlier, weren't we? I, I think you lasted a couple of minutes longer than me, and I just had to turn it off. It was just to, the, the interview was an imbecile. Yeah. Did you listen to what I sent you? Um, and it's only when I sent it to you and then I went to listen to it I realised it was entirely in French <laughs> yes I wonder what that was no I never listened to it. he sent me some link in French I thought why he sent me that yeah yeah yeah. and there's another one with Steve Rood and it was before they started the interview with Steve Rood they were like boasting about how they never prepare for interviews and oh, they're joking God. and they're just like this is not going to go well with Steve Rood you are going to set him off yeah. <laughs> <He's> gonna... <laughs> the um his, he lists Carl Barks and Philip Jose Farmer as influences. And I'm a huge Philip Jose Farmer fan. To, to your scattered yes. bodies go. He's one of the best science fiction writers we forget about. Um, is that the World of Tears? Sorry, mate? World, World of Tears series of books. I, I think, think he did do those as well, yeah. And he did, uh, he did a Doc Savage book. You know, he's got a real real head in the, in the pulps and stuff. 
Um, he um, is, to me, he, he's on my uh, you know top five writers of comics easily. He's, he is a highly significant writer who should be doing mainstream comics. I mean, yeah. you know, you know how regularly Marvel break my heart with Master of the Kung, Master of Kung Fu, Johnny. The um, why isn't he doing it? He'd be brilliant on it. It'd be amazing. Um, it's, it's fun. I mean, he really shifted units with with uh, the Punisher. So he yep. introduced Mike. Yeah. Um, but I think he created. I think maybe it was Stephen Grant that created Jigsaw. Okay, I'm not sure actually, but yeah, I know definitely microchip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that whole kind of thing, like the tech support and stuff like that. You're right. He's uh, he seems, and I've I've spoke to him a number of occasions. He's a good dude, and he needs to be. Uh, he needs to be doing comics. So a couple of the other ones. He did quite a lot on the Star Wars series, Dark, um, the is it Dark Empire or Last Command, an heir to the Empire for the Star Wars book at Dark Horse. Um, he did Amazing High Adventure at Marvel. Did some Batman, Green Lantern, Atari Force, Dead Man, Hawk and Dove at DC, as well as Sonic Disruptors, which is another great series. He did quite a lot of Valiant. He did Archer and Armstrong, some Eternal Warrior, Hardcore, uh, Magnus and Turok. Uh, he was in Vanguard Illustrated at Pacific. He's won a number of Eisners for Nexus. He did Corum and um, Eternal Warrior at, uh, sorry, Eter- Corum and the Eternal Warrior are adaptions, and they're being reprinted currently in hardbacks, which are quite nice at Titan. Um, and he's currently writing some novels. He's doing some comics. Had a lot of success on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And he's um, Florida Man. I think it's a book that I, um, I think Matt Strott, who's a buddy of ours, I think he had a hand in helping him design something for it or something. I've got a feeling. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, a lot of time for Matt as well. Good. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Mike. Um, yeah. The there was some Steve Rudd. Sorry, there was something that Steve Rudd said about him, and it just, it, you know, goes back to this thing that we were both saying. Like we seem to genuinely have a, an affection for each other. He said, "I didn't know what meeting Mike Barham would do for my life because when we create what we created with Nexus, was all the timeless things that were inside of me, my image for my nature, and not realizing the extent of where it would take me at the time. I had no idea where this thing was going to lead and what it would do to my life." Well, I'll say this and I'll say it until the day I die. Mike Barron is the greatest writer I've ever worked with. I can't believe sometimes that we could work so well together, knowing that we're literally from different planets about some things. But when he gave me those scripts, I mean, it was like reading Marvel comics from 1966. The greatest stories and morality tales that I've ever read. Um, and I, I mean, I think Nexus is yeah. absolute. I- and it is, it's it really is there's a depth and i mean he, he wrote some great comics elsewhere i mean the flash series he did after crisis with wally west is just a really amazing reintroduction you know of a or you know reboot of the character and it works so well and like you say the punisher stuff's good but this to me this is the best he's been i really do think it is it's so multi-layered you know there's a depth to everything he does in it and there's foreshadowing after mood after foreshadowing you know it's 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 such a latticed work of um, intelligence and um, characters that appear and go and appear and go. I mean, in the series we've done, there's a guy who turns up and he's only in a couple of pages and he's like a zombie, but he's from the black and white series, isn't he? Yeah. See, see I read an interview and he said, like, they were asking him, so do you plan things out really, really thoroughly? And he was like, no. And he said, do you, do you, have, a, do you have a vision for how Nexus ends? And he was like, no. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> Maybe from you know you said before he was you um, went to music is you went to jazz and maybe that um, improv aspect maybe that's where that comes from I don't know yeah, I don't know if maybe that's just yeah he is riffing on it yeah but he knows where he's coming got to come back to the uh, there's uh, the, a couple of the other things we should mention as you mentioned there was a flexi disc in one of the black and white was it four issue four is that right I can't remember now um, 
two or three of the black and white matches. Two three, pardon me. Yeah, and if you go, um, if you look at that up on YouTube, you can play, you can play it, and it's kind of like a little narration of part of the story. That's quite original. And also, there was a um, a tester made for a cartoon for Nexus, which um, yes. Rude worked on quite <laughs> extensively, and isn't too bad. It does remind you of Herculoids, and it does remind you of Space Ghost, doesn't it? It's definitely that feel to it. So I've I've read somewhere as well, and I'm sure it was in a Mike Bam interview where he said that um, Nexus got picked up by Hanna Barbera. And it was only when they were doing it they realised that it was a story of a cosmic assassin. <laughs> they couldn't really show it primetime TV. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, or like if I'm misremembering it, but I definitely remember reading that somewhere and I couldn't stop laughing because I was just like, hang on a second, was he murdering all these folk? <laughs> yeah. Murdering Nazi. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah, yeah. There's some great lines in it. Um, um, are you lame or are you game from this little See, I wrote down a couple. Um, Clone Zone, the hilariator, says, I had a nine-piece orchestra, but they all ran off with my wife. Um, there's one bo- one moment where Judah just shouts, of, think of it as Judah's hole, which made me laugh. Um, yeah, telling myself laugh at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's the last line is by this horrific child that turns up with a gun, and it's, cough up the plastic, you spastic. And I thought, oh dear, you can get away with that now, but it made me laugh anyway. Um, yeah, good. Definitely. But the way that um, it's kind of segues into the ring of philosophy as well, where it doesn't, it's just the way it happens is is funny and it's clever at the same time as well. And and Nexus, you know, I mean, he's portrayed as a straight man in this because he's alongside two of the most ridiculous characters in it. But yeah, he, he comes across as anything less than likable. Yeah, yeah. Um, about Sundra and just there's some oh, real moments, just... like the moment when he says, "Because you'll be back because you hear you don't dream and stuff like that." And it's just so well done. It's a real. He gets the pacing so well in this. They, well, Baron and Rude both get the pacing so well, don't they? I just absolutely loved it. I mean, I read the absolute fuck out of this comic when I was a kid. Just this, uh, yeah. the, 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 I just read and read and read. I remember I had um, issue eight. I remember I bought from. I remember buying it from Forbidden Planet in Denmark Street. And back then they didn't even have a price gun. They used to they used to write the num the, the price on a little sticker on it. Um, and I've still got yeah. that issue. Yeah, yeah, so good. Good, nice one, mate. Good. So we'll um, mm-hmm. thanks for that. That was a good look. So go out and buy Nexus. You, there are collections on Comicsology. There's various collections. You can pick them up probably quite cheaply on eBay. I'd say um, the issues. I imagine the issues are what five six quid each. Are they something like that? Um, I'm just I just got uh, there was one. There were like seven quid each. I got four of them, but it was thirty percent off if you buy um, four. So yeah, it was uh, it was just like over six quid. Okay. And I did it very wildly. Um, I've got the first. I'll have the first eleven issues of the second volume, and I've got issue two and three of the black and white magazine. Yeah, um, I think that might be what costs you the money. I think maybe the first black and white magazine might be a, a little bit pricey these days. But yeah. Not too bad, even though Tony, I think I saw it somewhere for. I think it was maybe fifty quid, but I think it was like it was it was inflated the price. I think it might even have been slabbed, so it's, it's right. not too bad. Yeah, that's right. I, I think yeah. it's like two pound, and there was loads of them in Edinburgh, about ten copies just sitting there. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good stuff, man. We're going to briefly talk a little bit about the um, Awesome Comics anthology being run by Sarah Harris. Um, go to the Awesome Comics um, Facebook page. And you can find out about it. There's uh, an invite-only Facebook uh, Facebook page for the anthology. If you want to pitch something, send it to Sarah Harris. I'm sure you can find her on Facebook um, or on Twitter. Implausible, I think, implausible something, implausible 18 or something. I've, I've, I'll put it in the show notes. Go and have a chat with her about that. I only promised I'd say it because she messaged me just before we came on here. Good. 
Um, right, over to you, mate. So the shit show is out. The hardback has come out. Um, mm-hmm. And you're now working on a sequel. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Um, aye. So I did a Kickstarter for the United Welcome to the Shit Show in October last year. Um, and it went pretty well. Um, and like, it was all successful and stuff. So did you have, did you have a Kickstarter, uh, do you say? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I went too overboard. No, you didn't. No, I'm I kidding, man. I'm kidding. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of late and doing that in the Facebook post. I was like, God, what am I saying? Um, and that that went pretty well. I still get several boxes of the stuff. Conventions. <laughs> 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 My wife's gonna kill me eventually, or all the boxes will just fall on me. Um, but um, a big comic store has expressed an interest in taking quite a few off my hands. That's good. good, yeah. I need to wait until April for that Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. I if we're lucky, uh, yeah. Aye. There's also the consideration as well that, you know, shops will pay 60% up front, and obviously you can sell at cons or sell online for 100%. So there is that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the bit... Oh, that's the problem you pay. That's the, what you, the price you pay with retailers. I mean, the retailers, 60% is good. You know, that's a good amount to yes. pay up front. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot or less. Shelves. Yeah. Yeah, you're paying for marketing as well because it's, it's on display and it wouldn't be otherwise. So, yeah, the sequel the sequel's called um, United Going Underground. Um, just, it was, I had a series of, it was, it's your fault again <laughs> when we were doing I can't remember, it was an interview, I think, for it. Um, and you said, is that you done with it? Because, you know, it seems like you've got more ideas and you could do a follow-up. I said, you're a bastard, why did you say that? And <laughs> is that was, me? Did I say that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, it's just, I think it's maybe a bit like this where you kind of fall in love with the characters a wee bit and you want to do a wee bit more. So I've done 15 pages. Um, I'm doing this differently because I wrote a script in this. Well, I started a script on it and then I went off script within about two pages. Um, and now I'm just freewheeling again but I'm pencilling, inking it and lettering it immediately whereas right. before I've things and then when I finish pencilling I'll link it so I'll have to go back and ink 70, 80 pages that kind of thing and this <laughs> I'm just getting I've really made a lot of improvements in my lettering because I'd um, a couple of folk I know Chris uh, Giruso and Greg Shigo Chris had said <laughs> I went, I think he said, what the fuck's up with your lettering? Right, and, um, okay. And then I looked at it, I was like, God, my lettering's terrible. And I just hadn't seen it before because I've been concentrating so much on the drawing and the storytelling. And it's like, I don't know if you're kind of the same as well, where you focus so much on improving one thing, you just haven't noticed other thing. And that's the best thing about doing comics for me is you're constantly learning, you're constantly improving. And at first I was like, oh, fucking hell, I'm shit, I'll never be able to do this. And then I was like, now, this is awesome because I'm learning another thing. And him and Greg pointed out a couple of things. And I think he, he sent it to you and you were like, yeah, you have got a bit of, bit, maybe a bit too much open space around your work. And I was like, God, you're totally right. I have missed this. Okay. So it's, it's totally, it's completely changed. I'm really excited about it. Oh, good. Um, I actually hate my pages that I'm drawing, <laughs> which is very, very rare for me. So no, it's going well. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. So what's it. the plans for that? I is it going to be it. another graphic novel or what are you going to do with it? Um, well, the last one wasn't really. The last one was a kind of half, kind of graphic novel, half trade collection because I'd published before. This is entirely new stuff. For small press stuff because it takes so long to produce each issue for me because I've got a full time job and kids and stuff. I just couldn't possibly make sequential issues work realistically. It's too long between issues. 
Um, so for me, what I'm going to look to maybe do is every, I'm going to try and aim for it every year, but at least every two years have a new hardback um, out. So I'm saying potentially every two years because currently it's thousand fifteen pages. Right. I know you're going to slag for this. And I'm guessing it's going to come in somewhere between 70 and 80 pages Don't long. Don't say that now because you'll go to 150 now. No, I was going to say it's probably about 300. <laughs> <laughs> I just really, it's because I get carried away drawing it. I just love drawing it. That's all right, it's, it's, We just do it for fun, don't we? We're never going to be millionaires. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know why I do it. It's, it's, with me, it's, it gen, it's, it's not so much the fun, but it's the genuinely the learning. So, good. Good stuff, man. It's good to see that you're still cracking on with that new series. So, where can people get your comics at the moment? Because have you still got issues of the the actual comic and not the graphic novel or have you, have you are you just down to the graphic novel now no so i've got a few um issues i don't think i've got that many left of the united i, I don't have them for sale in my online shop just now but i've got um transylvanian knights i've got plenty of issues of that right. uh, i've got plenty of um the hardback book in stock um and i've also got uh also do commissions as well through my online store and that's canonhillcomics.bigcartel.com um, and I'm on Twitter as Cannon Hill Comics, and I'm on Facebook as Johnny Cannon, and there's a Cannon Hill Comics page on there as well. Um, and I'm on Instagram as Cannon Hill Comics as well. Good. Good stuff, man. Thank you for that. Another great episode. We'll have a chat in a minute about doing another one, but uh, you can uh, watch out. George Mayhem is on his way. Um, he's going to be coming out very soon. Can't wait till you see that. Uh-huh. I saw the, uh, the final page of that, or one of the final pages for that today from Mr. Daryl Thorpe. That's coming your way. I think it looks, it looks really, really good. Thanks, man. I'm really pleased. Yeah, really? He's, he's such a good dude. Um, and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll leave you now with a message from our sponsor. Hi there, you loser. Don't look around. I'm talking to you. Yes, you. Sitting there, stinking up the place in your Deadpool cosplay and jerking off over your Sailor Moon Luno Funko Pop. Tired of being pathetic? Looking for a way out? Want to have sex? Join the Cult of Q. Our patented decuntification personal abuse technology will create a better you. Stop being that awful twat nobody can stand. The Cult of Q. Sex and baby. You may be used for sex. 